I'm always blessed to have this opportunity to be able to share with you, you know, things that God has put on my heart. But I always struggle with it too because there's this there's this dynamic of you know I've got this one shot to tell you something and you know as opposed to weeks and weeks and weeks of being able to, to to share something or to teach something and so it's always a little bit of a challenge to figure out exactly what it is that I want to say and usually there's just such a, a you know significant message that's on my heart that uh, it's the most important thing that we could talk about and that's often what I I end up coming back to and. That's what I would like to talk to you all about this morning is this idea of what our hope is, this idea that God has, what he has given to us in terms of what our future holds. Uh, I had thought about the possibility of, of uh, you know, preaching a, a, an entire message about the end times, but I understand Pastor Don did that for two and a half years, three years, something like that. I thought I could beat him and do it in one one message. Um, but then I started working on it and realized that wasn't going to work. So uh, uh, in, in spite of that, we're going to talk about Revelation 21 this morning. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21, that's where we're going to be, be spending some of our time. This world is messed up. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's almost a disaster. I remember as a kid being afraid of things that we heard about in the news. And some of, some of you younger folks and some of you older folks might be able to, to relate to that when you hear about the news and you see things that are going on. You see images like the one behind me. Those things elicit fear. I remember being a kid being afraid of, of nuclear war. I remember, you know, that it was the height of the Cold War before the, before the Soviet Union fell. And I remember vividly, you know, being in, seeing, you know, images on, on TV and, and news, and they would talk about these, you know, thousands of missiles that could just annihilate the face, everybody off the face of the earth. It was something that was, that, that, that elicited fear. And things haven't changed much since then. This world is messed up. We see the, the things that are happening with ISIS. We see the things that are happening in the Middle East. We see the things that are happening in other war-torn parts of the world, in the Ukraine, the, the, the Cold War seems to be picking up steam again a little bit with, between the United States and Russia. This is, this is evil in ways that I personally have never really seen personified. And, and it's scary. And it's horrible. And, and it's not just war and these things that are distant. These things, there's, there's other things that we, that we hear about in the news that show us that this world is messed up. You all probably are aware of the recent videos that have been leaked, that have been demonstrating the, the vile behavior of the Planned Parenthood group selling the bodies of, uh, selling parts of the bodies of aborted babies. It's horrible. It's terrible. You guys have heard the news about the organization, Ashley Madison. Hopefully some of you didn't know it even existed before the news broke about the leaks that, that took place, even the fact that this organization exists, an organization built on the premise of creating opportunities for adulterous relationships. <laughs> Our world is messed up. You see the, the, the goings-on in Ferguson, Missouri. You see the, hear about the things that are, that are happening all over the country. Police officers being murdered and 
African Americans feeling voiceless and like they're being un- unjustly imprisoned. This world is messed up. And the recent news that's been taking place coming out of Europe with the refugee crisis and the migrant crisis that's happening there, people from the Middle East that are trying to to escape their war-torn countries, people in sub-Saharan Africa trying to, to find a better life, overcrowding boats and being left literally for dead. This world is messed up. You know, Jesus... Jesus saw that, too, when he was here. One of my favorite passages, and and those of you that have heard me speak before have probably heard me mention this, because it's one of those things that that it's it's an illustration of of who God is and what he's done in in this world that that really resonates with my heart. And it's the story in in the book of Mark, chapter 7, at the very end of the passage, very end of the chapter. It's this strange encounter that Jesus has with a deaf man. And this man comes to him, asking to be healed. And Jesus does some strange things. It's the passage where he he sticks his fingers in the man's ears, he spits, and then touches his tongue. But before he he said the words that he said to heal this man, it says, there's this small, small sentence, and it says that he gave a great sigh. And I love... I love this passage and I love that sentence because what it's demonstrating to us is the fact that Jesus recognized that this is not the way it was supposed to be. He recognized and and understood and was exasperated by the evil that has messed this world up, that has caused sickness and disease and suffering. He was lamenting sin. And this, that passage is, is important for us to understand and it's important for us to, to, to think about and remember because I think that that, that that inborn desire or understanding is in the heart of every single person that walks on the face of the earth. They recognize that it wasn't supposed to be this way. You know, I think that you can see it in American advertising from, from the, the, the late post-war period. You know, this idyllic idea of what, it's, of what America was supposed to be. Of course, you know, it needs to have, be littered with brand names as well. But, but those ideas of what the perfect family was supposed to be. I think that that idea and that hope of a life that wasn't supposed to be marked by suffering, by evil, by broken families and relationships, I think that that is in the heart of people. That they desire that, that they want that. And I think you see it all over the place, in spite of the fact that it is proven to be completely false. That what this world has to offer can't give what people really want. But, but nevertheless, we see it everywhere. We see, we see this desire, this longing for hope, this longing for something greater, this longing for something to be fixed, this longing for, for the life to, to be different from the way that it is. We see it marked all over the place. We see people's lamentations for that. We see people's attempts to get it. We see it in popular music. This song, uh, this is a chorus from a popular song. It's called One Man Can Change the World. just came out uh, just a few weeks ago, written by uh, the artist Big Sean. Listen to, this, listen to these lyrics. It says, I hope you learn to make it on your own. And if you love yourself, just know you'll never be alone. I hope you, that you get everything you want, 
and that you chose. I hope that it's the realest thing that you ever know. Hope you get the pretty girls that's pretty at everything. Million dollar cribs having million dollar dreams. And when you get it all, just remember one thing. Remember one thing, that one man could change the world. One man could change the world. I find that really sad. And yet, this is, the, this is a reflection of where our society is. It's a reflection of, of humanity trying to find answers, trying to find something to hold on to, something to see that their life is better. And yet, people are trying to find hope in other things. They try to find their satisfaction and success. They try to find it in big houses and expensive cars, success in their jobs, the perfect family. This, this idea of people hoping for and searching for something better, different, is seen in films, <laughs> as, as is evidenced by the plethora of superhero movies that have been coming out. Some of these dystopian futures that are demonstrated about a world that is fractured and broken and yet someone fights against it to make the world a better place. All of these things are are manifestations of people's longings for something greater, for something better. People try to find it in taking care of themselves, try to find it in and having uh, try to find their, their hope and satisfaction in, in health food crazes or, or physical fitness. They try to find it in finding adventures or trying to control their environments through, through medicines. Or People are trying to find and make their lives better, and they're searching in all sorts of places and searching for all sorts of things. And yet, they come up empty. Find, try to find it in political leadership. <laughs> President, at the time he wrote this, Senator Barack Obama wrote a book called The Audacity of Hope. And in the description, this is, this is the description, it says, The Audacity of Hope is Barack Obama's call for a new kind of politics, a politics that builds upon those shared understandings that pull us together as Americans. Lucid in his vision of America's place in the world, refreshingly candid about his family life and time in the Senate, Obama here sets out his political convictions and inspires us to trust in the dogged optimism that has long defined us. And that is our best hope going forward. That is found in other political environments as well. This is just found in the UK Observer. It says, good politicians offer us hope. That's why we're drawn to certain men. We want to believe. And when someone is giving people something to believe in, they follow him. Maybe that's good enough. Eleanor Roosevelt famously said, To me, the democratic system represents man's best and brightest hope of self-fulfillment, of a life rich in promise and free from fear. The one hope, perhaps, for the complete development of the whole man. People are trying to find a hope, something to believe in, in so many places. And yet we know, as believers in Jesus Christ, that that is not where our hope is found. In Revelation 21, 1-7, John gives us the hope that we have. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Hallelujah. Hallelujah that this is the description of where our hope as believers in Jesus is found. Hallelujah that that God has given us this understanding of what the future holds. Praise the Lord that this scripture exists. Uh, if you just indulge me just for a few moments, I'd like to share just a couple of things to point out what this passage says in Revelation 21, 1-7. The first part of the passage, it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This idea of what he's talking about, this new heaven and the, and the new earth, is best found in our understanding of two particular concepts about our faith. The first one is what the world was supposed to be like in Eden. And the second is the understanding of what resurrection is all about. See, Jesus, it says in the Bible, was the first fruits of the resurrection. When he rose from the dead, his body was changed. There was, he, was, he was new. He was different. And he was different, and not in the, in the sense that there was this brand new human being that was walking the face of the earth, but it's a, a particular Greek word, kainos. And it's a particular kind of new that's not referring to a chronology of newness. It's referring to a, a, a difference in character, a difference in quality. And that's the kind of new that this is talking about. And so we can, it's the same new that, ta- that, that is referred to in, in other passages throughout the New Testament when it talks about us being new creations, that God has created us to be new in him. It's the same new that's referring to that, that a resurrected body has. If you could advance the next slide. It's not, it's not responding to me. Thank you. It's characterized like Eden, and it's characterized by this idea of resurrection. And so we look back in Genesis 1 and we think about what what it was that Eden, how was Eden characterized? Well, there's three different kinds, uh, three different ways that it was characterized. It was characterized by beauty, order, and abundance. You know, the Bible says that that God created this, this garden, this perfect garden that was beautiful. This fruit was pleasing to the eye. You imagine that everything was completely manicured before the curse, before people were having to to deal with thorns and thistles, before they were having to deal with with cultivating food by the sweat of their brow. You can imagine the beauty that, that would have been manifested in that garden. It was characterized by order. Everything had a place. Everything had a role. Everything had a responsibility. Man was set to have dominion over the earth. Every creature was given to provide a role, to have have a distinct purpose in the garden. And it was characterized by abundance. There was plenty. 
There was plenty for everyone. And we see, we see that the world's problems are oftentimes reflected by this brokenness that happened in Eden. It was, a, it was a brokenness of order. It's a brokenness of beauty. It's a brokenness of abundance. And that's what causes so many of the world's problems today because of our sin. But this new heaven, and, and even the, the idea that the sea was no more, that's kind of a peculiar thing. But when you take that idea, the, the idea that the sea was no more and you look at it in the greater context of the book of Revelation, you see that all of the evil things that came up came from the sea. The beast came from the sea. It talks about the devil being thrown into the abyss, which is re- this reference to the deep. And, and even in ancient Jewish literature and their understanding, the sea was, was metaphorically referred to as a place of chaos, of disorder. And so when, when John wrote that God was going to create a new heaven and a new earth, it was a resurrected place where the sea was no more, that there was, no more, there was nothing more characterized by evil. There was nothing characterized by disorder and chaos, that there was, things were characterized by order, beauty, and abundance. That's the hope that John is telling us, that God is telling us, that we have in him, that one day this earth will be transformed. That's an awesome thing. But he goes on, he says, he says also that the dwelling place of God will be with man. Now this, this is an important part, point. Because, because God created us to be in fellowship with him. It's what God wants. It's why he created us. He created us to enjoy him forever. And it's what we need. It's our our sumum bonum, our greatest good. In philosophy classes, those of you that have taken philosophy classes, they, they, a lot of times this is an idea that they talk about. And from that idea that this, the greatest good, that's the, the primary point that everything else stems from in, the, in a person's worldview, in a person's life. So whatever it is that they think is the greatest good, if they find that, that their career is the greatest good or, or, or achievement is the greatest good, everything trickles down from that. But God communicates to us that he himself is the greatest good. He himself is that for which the human soul truly longs. He himself is the thing, the the person that we were meant to be in relationship with. And it's the reason that people are trying to find something to live for and trying to find something else to grab onto to make this world a better place because God created us with that need inside of our hearts. He created us with this desire to be with him. And that passage in Revelation 21, when it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That is what the entire course of of the, the scriptures details for us, is God's desire to be back with us. And, his, and our recognition that we need to be with him. He is the answer that we're looking for. And he is the hope that we put our faith in, that we trust in. It's an incredible, incredible promise that he makes to us. But he goes on to say, too, that he's making all things new in Revelation 21. He says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. What does that mean for us today? What does that What is that promise that he's making all things new, that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more? Neither shall there be mourning nor pain nor crying anymore for those things have passed away. What does that mean for us? Well, it means that that there is a hope for the divorced couple, bitter and brokenhearted. It means that there's a hope for the handicapped boy, use of his legs has long since departed. It's a hope for the blind girl who can't see her daddy's smile. A hope for the addict who wants to take a drink once in a while. It's a hope for the deaf mother whose daughter's laugh she can't hear. It's hope for the elderly whose friends and family are no longer near. It's hope for the broken woman who was abused by her father. Hope for the father who abused his daughter. Hope for the executive whose life's work he failed to achieve. Hope for the dad in whose father's love he never believed. Hope for the cancer patient who feels like they can't go on. Hope for the poor man who doesn't know how to keep his lights on. It's hope for the neighbor who lives next door. It's hope for the coworker who works on the same floor. It's hope for the sinner and hope for the saint and hope for every single one of us left who ain't. He is our hope. He is our shield. Let us believe this. Let us never yield. Oh, beloved, he is good. He is great, and he has promised us he will not be late. One day the dwelling place of God will be with man. He will be with us. From the beginning, this was his plan. Every desire for which the human soul is longing, striving, struggling, and seeking will be met, satisfied, satiated, and surplused by our King. That is the hope that God has given us. That is the hope that he's given us to give to other people. That is the hope that your neighbors, that my neighbors, that people in the Middle East, that people in Europe, that people in Africa, that people in South America, and people right here in, uh, in the, these United States, this is the message, this is the hope that they need to hear. This is, the, this is what Jesus came to do. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to restore that which was broken, and he came to give us a hope for the future, a hope that one day every tear will be wiped away, that death will be no more, that neither will there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. That is an awesome message to have. That is an awesome message to be able to share with other people. So often, I think that we are, are, are we get into to, to this battle of the culture battle that's happening in, these, in, in this country right now, and we feel like we're losing ground. We feel like we have to fight for the rights that we have, and we so often get get irritated, and we think about us and them, and we think about the fact that there is this this division and this quarrel that's happening, and it's between us and them, and it's a fight to be able that we need to be able to do this, and we forget the fact that these people that we're interacting with on a regular basis are lost and they're broken and they've, they're, they're struggling and they're hurting and they're dealing with all sorts of pain in their lives and Jesus is the answer. That's the message that we have to be able to share with people. And that's what Revelation 21 is all about. But he tells us this to the one who conquers. 
He says, the one who conquers will have this heritage. He says, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment, and the one who conquers will have this heritage. That word is also translated in other, in, in other, pass, in other places. It's also translated as, as overcomes or perseveres. The one who conquers will have this spring of the water of life. We'll be able to drink freely from it. We will be satisfied in our relationship with him. That we will be connected to God. That he will fix that which was broken. And that we will be able to be with him forever. If we persevere. And so this reality, this this truth, the fact that God has given us This hope, this idea that this real hope should make it should make us persevere. It should cause us to to recognize that we need to keep going, even when we feel like we can't any longer. In Second Corinthians four seventeen, Paul says that these light and momentary afflictions don't compare to the eternal weight of glory waiting for us. This hope for the future that we have should cause us to persevere, to recognize that this is not the end. It should make us believe. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, the definition of faith, it says being certain of what we hope for, assured of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It's tied to faith. Faith is tied to hope. So this should make us believe all the more strongly. It should make us continue on, the, on, on this path that God has given us. It should make us, should make us continue to, to, to interact with the people that, that drive us crazy. It should make us be able to, to withstand the, 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 the momentary afflictions that we deal with today in this world. It should cause us to believe. And finally, it should cause us to love one another as well. And it should cause us to do that recklessly, giving no thought to what the consequences might be. To love one another, as, as, as it says in John thirteen thirty four, he's given us this command that we should love one another. What does that mean? How are we supposed to do that? How this idea, calling it a reckless hope, means that we're no, we're not thinking about the consequences. We're not thinking about the results. We're not thinking about what the, the, the future might hold in the, in the sense that there will be a, a negative reaction against us. But loving people recklessly, loving people the way that God wants us to love them, is totally related to how much we believe that this is what our future holds. And so I want to challenge you this morning to do three things. I want to challenge you to offer to pray with a hurting family member or coworker or neighbor this week. To be bold about sharing your hope with them by acknowledging the fact that it only comes through God. When you see people that are hurting around you, to offer to pray with them. To stop what you're doing and offer to ask and beseech our God who cares, who loves, who rescues, heals, and restores, to ask him to intervene on behalf of that person that's hurting and struggling. 
I want you to think about somebody you might even have in your mind right now. And this week, I want you to, to, to offer to, to, to pray with them. Not, not just say, I will be praying for you, but to stop and pray with them right there on the spot. I want you to, with your families, with the, those, those in your immediate sphere of influence, I want you to, to brainstorm ways that you can meet someone's need this week. To think about someone that you see or someone that you know that might have a specific need or request and to brainstorm ways that you might be able to creatively meet that need. So I want you to pray for somebody, to offer to pray for a hurting person that you know. I want you to brainstorm ways to meet a need of someone that you know and to share this hope that Jesus heals, saves, and restores and that one day all will be made right with two people this week. To share that simple message of what it is that we believe God is going to do. Taking this challenge myself as well to attempt to interact with people in a way that, that demonstrates the hope that I have. It demonstrates the fact that, that my eggs are in that basket. That Jesus is the only way. That he is the only solution to this world's problems. If we believe that, and we apply that truth to our hearts, this world will be a much different place. But I also know that these kinds of things are impossible to do on our own. They're impossible to do and our own ability to, 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 to lift ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps and be able to accomplish these things. We can't do it on our own. We need God's presence in our life. We need him to convict us, to, to demonstrate that truth into our hearts. So let's pray and ask him to do that right now. Father God, thank you for the hope that you've given us. Father, thank you for thank you for this truth that you will make all things right. And thank you for the truth that when we put our faith and trust in you, Lord, that you start that process in our lives right now. Thank you for the fact that that you don't you don't ignore people who are hurting. Thank you for the fact that you don't disregard people who are, who are struggling. Thank you for the fact that you don't ignore people who are, who are dealing with physical pain or emotional pain or struggling with broken relationships that they have in their lives or struggling with unmet dreams and expectations or dealing with issues with their family members. You don't ignore those things, Lord, and you, but yet you address them. And you give us something to look forward to. You give us something to believe in. You give us and transform our hearts, Lord, by this truth. That we, if we persevere, if we believe, if we trust in you, believe your words to be true that you will restore. And so God, 
I've, I've given a, a, a simple challenge this morning to myself and to my brothers and sisters and you. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to allow this truth of what our hope is to penetrate and saturate our hearts. And I pray that you will enable us to be able to recognize that we have something to offer those that are struggling around us. Give us the strength to pray with someone that is hurting this week. Give us the strength, the courage to share our hope in you with two people this week. And give us, Lord, creativity to think of ways that we might practically meet needs of people around us this week. God, I pray that you will do that and that you will transform our hearts and that you will transform this church and that you will allow us to be people who love you, who honor you, who know you. But Lord, let us also be people who are thankful to you. Thankful to you for the ways that you comfort us, the ways that you challenge us, and thankful to you for the promise that you've given us. Lord, thank you for this hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.